Welcome back to the Mountains and the Sea, a Prince podcast. I'm Christy. And this is Josh. And we are here to look at the highs and lows of every Prince album. We find our mountain, the highest point, our sea, the lowest point, and a time capsule that uh, really exemplify the period in which the album was either recorded or released. We are back with you today, and we're so glad that you're joining us. We are going to talk about Dirty Mind. Here we go. Back old school. This is by far the earliest Prince album that we've looked at. Uh, The previous most early album we looked at was Love Sexy, but that was Mm -hmm. into Prince's second decade uh, as far as studio albums go. This album was released in 1980, so it uh, is easily... I was going to call it the oldest album, but I'll call it the earliest album that we've ever listened to together. So Mm. I'm excited to talk about it today because this is an album that I've listened to practically my entire life, but it's not one that I think that you and I have ever discussed much Mm -mm. from at all. So very interested to hear your point of view on uh, what's really an album that's approaching 40 years old. Yeah, that's kind of amazing. Uh, It came out to a lot of critical acclaim. It became a gold album in 1984. This was the first album that Lisa worked with Prince on. Correct. Uh, You kind of have one track from this album to thank for Lisa joining the band with the song Head being performed during the Prince tour as he started working on uh, tracks for this album, Dirty Mind. And uh, his previous keyboard player, Gail Chapman, wasn't into the lyrics didn't like it. You know, it was a little too risque for her, and uh, so she was replaced with Lisa. Wow. Well, I guess risque is something you're going to have to deal with when it comes to Prince, especially in 1980. Definitely in 1980. And Prince did almost everything on this album, right? And he had, uh, this is, Dr. Fink had his first co-writing credit here. Right, with the the title track of the album, Dirty Mind, being uh, based on a groove that Dr. Fink had been toying with and Prince heard it and turned it into Dirty Mind. But other than, um, you know, Dr. Fink's present on the synthesizer, also for Head, um, what you hear on uh, this really concise album, Dirty Mind, is basically entirely Prince in his own home studio. Yeah, that's really cool. Mm-hmm. Concise, that's a nice way to put it. 31 minutes of music. Yeah, it's e- concise. Easily his shortest album and, you know, what had been called kind of the most radical surprises in pop music history with Prince's first two albums, you know, containing sexual innuendo and definitely sexy kinds of songs. But there was a lot of soul music and ballads on his first two albums. And uh, this one was aptly named. You knew what you were getting into. Yes. uh, Or you should have uh, before you opened this album. If you didn't, it was kind of a rude surprise. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that was the point. (laughs) Um, You know, with a name like Dirty Mind and even the album cover kind of gives you a really good feeling for there's not going to be much innuendo. It's going to be more explicit. Yes. It's overt. Very overt. Um, (laughs) You know, this was kind of Prince's coming of age. I would say he still is trying to find that signature Prince sound, but it's getting closer to it on Dirty Mind um, than the previous two albums. And he was definitely, you know, exploring how far he could push lyrics from a sexual standpoint throughout almost every song on this album. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You said you were going to push my limits as far as falsetto goes. That's right. We've established um, that Christy is more of a fan of Prince's uh, lower register, not so much his falsetto. Well, at this point during Prince's career, almost every song that he recorded 
was in his falsetto. He was more comfortable singing that way. He said it hurt to sing in a lower register at that point, hadn't really developed into that kind of vocal range. And the only place you find anything but a falsetto on this album is in background uh, vocals and chants uh, throughout Mm -hmm. a handful of songs. Yeah, and you know, I really, I thought about that when I was listening to this album. And I think I didn't find it so irritating because I think what I normally find irritating about a falsetto is that it feels forced. It sounds forced. And Prince never sounds forced in his falsetto. So I think maybe that's a little different to me. That said, this is not an album I'm going to come back to a lot. Yeah, I didn't expect that you would. First of all, it's, you know, it certainly has a dated sound to it. Uh, but there's no doubt that this laid, this really started to lay the foundation for who Prince would become and started exploring things that he would dance around, you know, for another 35 years yeah. in his career. And for that reason, I do have to say, I really appreciate that album because I can see these influences that are starting here mm-hmm. in his later work. He would never have gotten to his later work which I prefer, Mm -hmm. had he not started here. So I can really appreciate it from that standpoint. Yeah, you heard Prince during his career saying, you know, this music is in my head and I have to get it out or it will drive me insane. And this seemed like the kind of thing that he had to get out. So much so that... uh, (laughs) Dirty man's going to drive me crazy. Exactly. Um, so yeah, I think this was a necessary step in Prince's career, and like you said, critically acclaimed, uh, musically and lyrically, it was definitely uh, meant to build shock value. Yeah, and um, it did. From, from everything from the lyrics to his attire at the time, um, you know, he had managers who told him during the Prince tour, look, you can't go on stage wearing spandex and no underwear. It is lewd and it's disgusting. <laughs> They're and like, so Prince he's is, like, yeah, yeah, that's the point. Exactly. So his answer to that was he ditched the spandex, wore thigh-high leggings and black bikini underwear and boots and a trench coat. Uh-huh. Um, so that was his answer to, you know, he never really took too kindly to people telling yeah. him what to do. Yeah, or what he couldn't do. Yeah. You can't do this. Oh, want to bet? <laughs> Watch this. <laughs> I also thought it was kind of neat to listen to an album that precluded his own shorthand that really defined him throughout his year with yeah. you know twos and U's and C's. This was before he even got to that level of thinking in his career and developing that persona. Yeah. So really interesting, you know, certainly this whole album almost is a time capsule looking back at Absolutely. You know, a milestone album in Prince's career. Yep. Before really any kind of fame. There's a little he had a mild success with a couple singles off his first two albums, but still kind of a relative unknown. Yeah. And there was really nothing about this album that was going to make him more well known, at least in popular culture. I mean, picking singles off this album had to be a complete nightmare. <laughs> Um, this isn't what can the, I even put on the radio? <laughs> yeah, this yeah. isn't um, the most radio friendly album no. in the world. No, safe to say. Yeah, absolutely. Well, shall we dive right into the songs themselves? Let's go. All right, Dirty Mind, the title track. It was the second single. Yes, but and the like, title track. And like you mentioned, it was the first time that Prince had given co-writing credit to anyone on an album. I think mm-hmm. it's really cool that Dr. Fink did it. He yeah. was, um, you know, a Prince band member for years leading up through uh, 1990. Mm-hmm. So he would be a member of Prince's uh, touring band and studio session musician for another decade after yeah. this album. Did you see how he became a Dr. Fink? 
Yeah, he was dressed as, uh, he, what was he dressed uh, as? He was Something dressed else. as a jailbird. That's right. And there was another and keyboardist that was doing no, that. No, he, they were on tour with Rick James uh-huh. and they were opening for Rick James and he was also dressed as a jailbird and Dr. Fink did not want to be confused. Right. And so he went and got some scrubs and that's how he became the doctor. And to this day, his doing it, we had the pleasure of seeing the revolution in San Antonio this past summer and got to meet the band backstage. And Dr. Fink is still performing in scrubs. That's, you know, I think it's great. Yeah. Very cool. I mean, that's who he is in the revolution. You know, he's done some other, um, solo work, um, where he's, you know, been Matt Fink. Um, but to Prince nation, he'll always be Dr. Fink. Yeah. 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 So this is kind of a robotic funk mm-hmm. song definitely uh, has a strong still 70s influence but a little less disco and a lot more punk yeah yeah punk and a little new age mixed in i would say mm-hmm. also throughout this album yeah yeah but this is a song that he played throughout his career even when he became you know uh, against cursing in concert right. and it was more about innuendo and pushing the envelope by how far can I go without making things explicit. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was interesting that this was his very last single also was Dirty Mind. There was a version of it from his piano and microphone tour that was sold on title on March 11th, 2016 uh, of a solo piano performance of Dirty Mind and Little Cor- Red Corvette oh, that would end neat. up being his very last commercial single. Oh, I didn't realize that. That's great. Yeah. I mean, on title, it didn't get much attention unfortunately nothing against title but yeah. um you know it's one of the more struggling music services out there yeah but you know back to this track i, I think it'd be hard to find an opening track to an album that's going to set the tone for what you're about to hear for the next seven or eight tracks it definitely did that that's yeah. for sure i really get a dirty mind whenever you're around <laughs> Awesome. All right. When you were mine. Um, yeah, I noted that it was U Y O U and not the letter U. Right. Right. Yeah, Long because before he had not yet mm-hmm. gotten to that point. Yep. Yep. How did you categorize this? I kind of wrote down. I didn't kind of write down. I did write down. <laughs> this was more new wave to me, like kind of yeah. a new wave song. Yeah. It yeah. F- definitely felt a lot more eighties to me. Like uh-huh. it was. It sounded like the beginning of what a lot of the 80s popular cultural music would sound like. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and a lot of this album, too, is not so much studio trickery. I mean, it's sort of, uh, you know, demo cuts, live drums. Yeah. And sort of a, you know, no no screaming electric guitars throughout this album, including on this song. There's guitars throughout, but there's no distortion. It's mm-hmm. all very kind of straightforward in parts kind of bluesy and parts yeah. nearly country. <laughs> I I said it I said this song almost had a little bit of a Beach Boys flavor to it. Hmm. Like a little just a little like that poppy beachy like sitting on the beach I'd like to listen to the song. Yeah, musically yes, definitely. I don't think the Beach Boys ever sang a song. No, no, but I mean losing. like the the <laughs> The total overall ambiance yes. of the song yes. had a little bit of that flavor to yeah. me. Yeah. yeah. This is sort of a failed love triangle sort of well, thing. I, you know, I, or, lyrically, man, there's there's a lot. So she cheated on him, I think. Yeah. And 
she, you know, she didn't have the decency to change the sheets. He he says he doesn't care that she's going with another guy, but he says it a lot. So it's kind of like thou doth protest too much. Yeah. Like you care an awful lot that she's going out with another guy because you want her. And enough to write a song about it too. Yeah. So some of this, I wonder if it was more, you know, you didn't have the decency to change the sheets. I never was a one to make a fuss when he was there sleeping in between the two of us. I don't take that literally. I take Mm-mm. that as a he's standing between me and you kind right. of thing. Like he knew she was dating somebody else at the same time yes, and he was just going to let it go. Yeah, and, yeah. But there, and he wasn't going to uh, make her stop as long as he had access to right. her. Yeah. And then when she took that away... He sort of loved her more. Yeah. He loved, I wonder, did he love the memory of her a bit more yes, than or, the actual being with her? Yeah. That or the thought of a future with her where someone else wasn't in the way. Yeah. It's kind of a oddly jealous song yes, from Prince. For sure. He made a living of making other men jealous rather yes. than being jealous of other yes men. which i thought you know kind of belied his youth a little bit because he he wasn't yet ultra famous yes he, this is the point in his career when he's still like struggling for the girls he wasn't yet ultra famous he had to really like work to impress somebody right and yeah and yeah. he wasn't frankly all that good looking then either. I mean, <laughs> he needed during some help era, with his hair. He had some serious Dudley Moore hair going oh, on geez. during this era, but a lot of that was part of the uh, you know the look. It's not called clean mind or no. clean look and feel. Right. It's about being free and doing mm. what you feel uh-huh. like. Yeah. And he certainly did that. Did you know this was covered by Cindy Lauper? I did. I went back and listened to it. I it had was forgotten really about good. that. Very cool. And she was brave enough to not change the lyrics, I not change saw, the pronouns. I, saw, I wrote that down. I said she changed it once, but not mm-hmm. both times. Yeah. She, yeah. you know, another guy, another girl. I was like, that's really like pretty progressive for whenever she yeah. wrote. It was, it was 84. 84 on right. she, it's on She's So, so unusual. unusual. Yeah. I thought that was great. And what a nice uh, cover. Yeah, very cool to, and probably an easy thing to cover at the time. You know, it wasn't mm-hmm. like that Prince had a, of course, Prince has the the ultimate version of this because right. it's his song on his album, but um, she wasn't fighting with his popularity at the time for this particular song. He had reached fame and fortune by the time she covered it, but right. this was a relatively unknown song from right. a back catalog album for Prince at yeah. that point. That, it was you know, a deep cut. Yeah, it took, yeah, it took the success of 1999 and Purple Rain to make this album a piece of pop culture right for Um, sure i also love that he revisited this song a lot you know as late as the one night alone tour that Mm -hmm. you and i saw in houston yeah um and you know would start the song and say i dare you to sit in your seats on this one he's Uh trying to get people up and moving Uh and um like we weren't already on our feet are you (laughs) kidding there was a he had a fondness for the song you know into uh certainly the middle late part of his career too all right do it all night well, here we are. You here know, we are. We said uh, on a previous podcast for 3121 that Fury's chorus sounded like a verse. And here we have a song that only has two verses and a ton of repeating choruses. Uh-huh. I think that was pretty common. Yeah. At this time, that was a very, uh, that was a normal sort of thing to do, which yeah. you don't normally equate normal with 
the things that Prince does. Yeah, but as far as song structure, yeah, yeah, that's that's definitely for sure. I, thought, I always kind of enjoyed the song. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know Prince thought highly of it. He thought highly enough of it to make it the opening for the Dirty Mind tour. It would always open with the song. You know, what can you say about this song? Again, there's no um, hidden meanings here. It's all about getting sex right and willing to put in the work mm-hmm. for as many hours as it takes yeah. to get it right. Yep. I thought it really had a, a strong 70s feel to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was in, it was also kind of indicative of the time that he says he wants to do it to you right rather than do it with you right. Yeah. That was a, a, was a more, a, a little, different kind of a mindset Yes. At that point. Yeah. So, and I thought that was interesting. Objectivity. Yeah. Uh, meaning yeah. making like, a woman an object, sort of. Yeah. Well, and just like, this is something I'm going to do to you. Yeah. We're not it's going not, to do it It's together. not a together thing, which right. I thought was interesting. Yeah. Although he's taking full responsibility for getting it right. Yeah. So <laughs> it's not like he's lazy. Yeah. No, no, not at all. All right. Yeah. I thought it was it's kind of an easy song to hum along to though. It mm-hmm. definitely has, you know, it's it's a dated sound. Yeah. Um just like the rest of this album is honestly, but still I I do listen to the song quite a bit. Oh, really? Know, just, hmm. you know, during just a regular like, week, yeah, yeah. It'll it'll pop up. Uh, yeah. I didn't realize that. That's nice to know. Mhm. All right. Got a broken heart again. Well, you know, like I said, his previous two albums, he kind of came, Prince came off as very ballad centric, especially Prince, his second self-titled album. Uh, there were a ton of ballads on that album, and uh, with "Got a Broken Heart Again," this is the only ballad on the entire album. Um, yeah, and I think it is it feels you know, a little misplaced to me. Do you think so? I do a little bit. Oh, I thought um, you know, definitely a change of pace, which is what a ballad you know kind of does on an album, but you find him you know full of vulnerability on this song and it's easily you know very easily the sweetest song on the entire album Mm -hmm. yeah well and i think maybe it's sweetness was part of what made it feel a little out of place to me Hmm. although Um, it was all part of you know relationships and sexual relationships where he says my only supposed to be friend stole my old lady away from me which is, you know, again, I, I forgive a little bit of this knowing that it's 40 years <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> old, um, you know, and he's begging her to come back home. Um, I thought this was sort of the first time I heard on a Prince song a line that was kind of poignant in a way that you would find later in Prince's albums with the very end of this song where he sings, because once your love has gone away, there ain't nothing, nothing left to say. No. And he's just kind of yeah. given up and you kind of hear something falling or crashing in the background at the end of the song. Um, so it kind of reminded me a little bit of what you get in songs like Sometimes It Snows in April, where mm-hmm. there's just this very here it is kind of statement from Prince, and he's got to hang it up and move on yeah. because uh, it's over. Mm, I thought it had a love done got me down kind of vibe to it. Like he's just, he's sad. <laughs> I don't know. It just, it, he, uh, he made a point in his early song, in his early albums too, about, you know, referring to not having it all and you know he says i ain't got no money to spend which i think has a lot of merit at that point he's still a very young artist and right um you know was not mainstream by any means um you know it was fun i also kind of cheated a little bit and went back and oh. listened to some other live performance of this song this is another song that he revisited during the one night alone tour and slowed it down even more and i swear sung it in an even higher register with very little accompaniment in the background 
So there's a number of songs off this album that he revisited, you know, 22 years later Mm -hmm. on a tour where he was playing really was an, it was a tour for, for fans, for Mm -hmm. people who had followed him. He wasn't there to play hits and he came back to this album a lot, which I thought said a lot of it kind of being a foundation or something that he kind of looked back in retrospect and respected the, I don't know, the value of the album, even though it's, uh, contents is probably not something that he would ever write or agree with. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Uptown, the first single, I thought it was a good choice for a single. Yeah, this is the one. I mean, where else are you going to go? Yeah, I mean, really. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I need to go and find the single version. There's a slightly shorter edited version of this song that I did not find. Okay. Um, But we were talking about the album anyway. So, you know, easily this is the earliest version to me of Prince creating a universe for himself, which he did throughout the rest of his career. Uptown was an existing term, though. This wasn't something that was his creation. Oh, I didn't realize that. Uptown was an area of Minneapolis that was a hangout for artists of all kinds. And um, even in the album credits for Dirty Mind, he recorded it uh, the whole thing in his home studio. In the album credits, it says recorded somewhere in Uptown. Uptown. So it's the state of mind that he's in where it was recorded. It's not about, you know, a geographic location. Location. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. So to me, this is a song where Prince really found himself as an artist and encouraging freedom and breaking free of stereotypes about sexuality, homosexuality, right. even nationality. Yeah. That comes into play too. And he would repeat lyrics from this song on other songs later Black, White, Puerto Rican, everybody just a freaking. <laughs> it doesn't matter. This became like just a melting pot of Prince fans where you go to a Prince concert and it's a great mix of. Yeah. Uh, all people from different backgrounds, different races, different and nobody sexuality. ever felt out of place. Everybody yeah. had something in common. Right. Yeah. Right. There was there was something for everyone there. Yeah. Um, I really love this song. I think I thought it was uh, really good. It's it's really cool. It's kind of a unknown print single, I guess you could say, as far as early print singles go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was danceable. It was fun. Uptown. That's where I want to be. Mm-hmm. It was it was very good. He had a lot of lyrics. And not as many repeats of the chorus, which was kind of mm-hmm. unusual for this time. And I really appreciated that. I, it was very forward-thinking, forward-seeming to me. Yeah, I wondered, well, I had a couple songs off of this album that I thought, hmm, if Christy finds something to revisit on this album, these are the ones I think that it'll be. And this was one of them, mm-hmm. uh, Uptown. It was easily the longest song on the album, too, at five yeah. minutes and 30-some-odd seconds. Yeah, it didn't feel too long, though. No, I thought, um, you know, great little groove, cool keyboard part, but again, fit in with the sound Mm -hmm. of this album, which was live drums, keyboards, kind of a rhythm guitar, no like screaming Prince guitar solos, you know, on this album to be found. Right. All right, let's move on. Head. Well, here's the second song I thought you might revisit. I don't know if I'm right or not. Oh, I like this song. (laughs) (laughs) It's dirty. This song is not about getting ahead in life. No. (laughs) Man, he just did not care about about a woman's attachments to anybody else on this album. It's all about being free, babe. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you might think this is the filthiest song on this album, but you'd be wrong because there's more to come. (laughs) Yeah, there is. You know, but here he has, like you said, he's got an encounter with a woman who's on her way to her own wedding, and it ends up with performance of oral sex in her wedding gown. Yeah, all over her wedding gown. Yeah. I mean, All the, over it. Yeah. This yep. was kind of, to me, 
I thought I thought you would kind of hear it as very seventies influence, kind of a disco kind of thing. But yeah, I but saw like it, in the best possible way. Yeah, like ultra funky disco, new wave ish, and the keyboards kind of almost sound like oral sex to yeah. me a little bit. <laughs> really? I don't know. <laughs> That's maybe it's just from hearing the song for yeah. years and years uh-huh. and years. But yeah, yeah, yeah. This is, again is the song that led to Lisa joining his band. So I mean, this song is so pivotal pivotal in Prince history with Gail Chapman leaving the band over songs like Head not being comfortable performing them live and Mm -hmm. not agreeing with the lyrical content leading to Lisa joining the band and Prince kind of testing her out by seeing if she could play this and not you know be embarrassed or hold back at all which of course she had no problem with it so you know if it hadn't been for this song there'd be no Lisa there'd be no no Wendy there'd be no revolution you know in two and a half years after this album came out so um, I kind of saw this as really a milestone in in Prince history agreed agreed I thought uh, love you till you're dead didn't make much sense that was in the chorus and I was like, well, is that like the little death, like an orgasm? Oh. Or until, it wasn't until later he said, she married me instead. Oh, you think he's then, looking for a rhyme there? Or? Uh, uh, well, I don't know. I just like, it was in the chorus, love you till you're dead. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to figure out what that means until he got to the point where, oh, she married me instead. Mm. I was like, oh, well, that makes sense. That kind of works on both levels. He's going to love her for the rest of her life. Yeah. And then also love her until she is fully satisfied. That's how I saw it was. As long as it takes, we're going to do this thing. Yeah. I think it works on a couple of levels, Mm -hmm. which are kind of nice. Yeah. Uh, Great song, though. I mean, if there's, you know, a handful of songs you can pull off of Prince's first albums before he found his following and his sound, that would be, you know, milestones. This is hands down one of them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So um, I would encourage you to listen to this song, but um, not with kids around. Yeah, no. (laughs) Uh, Sister, another one we shouldn't all listen to with children around. (laughs) Well, here you go. So... You know, I read old reviews of this album saying that it was dirty and filthy, but not pornographic, which I don't know if I completely agree with. It definitely verges on, you know, audio pornography. Yeah. Um, but easily, this is the filthiest song on the album to me that, that gives credence to the uh, title Dirty Mind, mm-hmm. where we start getting into incest and uh, his sister teaching, his older sister teaching him. Uh, everything there is to know about sex and where you put things and what blow means uh-huh. and what it doesn't mean. Um, yeah, very a lot of shock value in this song. I, you know, I wondered where the heck was Tipper Gore when this came. Out? How did it take <laughs> Darling Nikki from Purple Rain to get her attention? And she totally missed the boat on well, songs like Sister and Head. It's just a matter of fame. Yeah, and I think it's a matter of like how much they sold and. Yep. You know, because she thinks she would have objected to the cover as well. Yeah, maybe a little bit. But yeah. I thought, you know, if Darling Nikki is the song that kicked off, you know, Parental Advisory oh, lyrics I think on this albums, was way more... it was like four years too late. Yeah, it really sure. was because this was way dirtier. Yeah. Um, I thought it was interesting that she only had sex with him, but he still called her loose. Mm, yeah. I was like, hmm, that's an interesting dichotomy of... 
she's both slutty and a virgin. Yeah. That was weird. And mm-hmm. I don't know. If you don't like the song, it's short. So. That's right. You can move on not, later. You, know, <laughs> you can get past it pretty quick. Yeah. I read some older interviews too where, you know, Prince was challenged on, you know, is there any truth to this? You know, people doing the math to figure out which yeah. sister is he talking about? Who oh, is he living with at the time? Poor sisters. I think you can file this under, you know, Prince says, but <laughs> he doesn't. He didn't always find the need to explain things in complete truth when right. asked. So, you know, he had said, well, I wasn't laughing when I wrote the songs on this album, so it's not a joke, which I believe, but that's not a denial that this is autobiographical or that any of this is true. It's more, again, all about shock value. Yeah. Um, you know, he, he was trying to get attention. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is the same guy that once told a radio station in an interview that his first single, Soft and Wet, was about deodorant. So <laughs> I'll... I'll say that it's it's a story, you know, it's a part of, it's called, again, it's not dirty reality, it's dirty mind. It's, you know, confessions of a 20-year-old rock star, here yeah. is what, and, and confessions of what goes on in the mind of a rock star who yep. has the ability to sit at home, dream things, these things up, and create whatever he likes. And right. this was a thematic part of an album. Yeah. Okay. That's yeah. fair. So he had neat twists on the songs on on this song later on during the Love Sexy tour. It was a crazy, frantic rock minute during mm-hmm. the Love Sexy tour where he just just ran through the lyrics on this thing with his guitar, and it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, but you know, there reached a point where the song kind of vanished into Prince's past as a oh, this is what he was doing in 1980. This is not what he's. Doing now. Yeah. Yeah. But definitely part of what he became. Sure. Sure. And then the final track on the album, Party Up. Party Up. Gosh, there's so much on this album that led to so many things later in Prince's future with this song being really responsible for the creation of the time later on. This was I don't think I realized that. This the basic Groove, I guess you could say, was created by Morris Day, Prince's childhood friend and who's the lead singer of the time. And Prince wanted to use it. So the story is that he offered, and Morris has confirmed this on social media, that Prince offered Morris $10,000 for the song. Wow. So he could use it for this album. Or Prince would help him get a record deal. And Morris Day said, I chose the deal. Yeah. He didn't choose the money. And that led to the formation of The Time, which was really began as just Prince and Morris Day in the studio. But it got uh, The Time signed to uh, Warner Brothers record contract. Oh, that's and, cool. You know, if you look at Head being responsible for bringing Lisa and Wendy into the band eventually, um, there would be no uh, The Time or a rival band in a movie like Purple Rain had it not been for Party Up. That's so cool. This was kind of Prince's first political commentary, I think, in a song, too. Yeah, I saw that very anti-war. Mm-hmm. Um, it seemed a little late to me, because it was, I mean, at least for, like, Vietnam. I was thinking been... more Iraq, the Iran-Iraq war that started in 1980, went through oh. 1988. The U.S. was heavily okay. involved with it. So, you know, not one of the most popular wars in the world. And I think that's what he was he was singing about here at the end with, you're going to have to fight your own damn war because yeah. we don't want to fight no more. Mm-hmm. And we got some non-falsetto there. 
Yeah, there's there's your chance of just Prince screaming in the in the background. Yep. Um, so this wasn't a single, but um, it's a song he chose to perform live on SNL, which we'll talk about here in a minute. Yep. Uh, which is kind of interesting to you know go on a show like Saturday Night Live as a relative unknown and pick a song to play, which wasn't a single and was you know a closing song on an album that you know that turned into something that he would do forever. Yeah. Not make a choice of what song to sing because of what it would do you know, from a promotion or advertising standpoint, but to do what he felt in his heart was the thing to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that was, that was Prince. Was. Well, let's, let's talk, let's go ahead and talk about that SNL yeah. performance. Since yeah, we're, a- since we're at it, we're at the end of the album. Normally this is where we would end our podcast, but because this is such a short album, there's, a little bit less to talk about, not as much promotional material, all of it's happening right now. So we're going to go ahead and we're also going to talk in this episode about this SNL performance, uh, the Dirty Mind video, the Uptown video. There was a concert in New York that we mm-hmm. listened to and there was an outtake, gotta stop messing about. So um, we're, we're going to talk about those as well before we choose our time capsule, our sea and our mountain. So let's talk about this SNL Party Up performance. Ah, cool. This is something you can go out and find very easily uh, online to watch. So it's great. It was on Vimeo. Yeah, yeah, it's floating around in a lot of places. So you can check it out. But, you know, a lot of Prince's TV performances leading up to this in uh, 1981 was lip syncing, you know, on American Bandstand and others where, you know, it was just a studio track and. He and a full band are there, but it's lip synced. So this was definitely not a lip sync performance, no. which was great to see. So it's, it's sort really of good. One of the first public live performances that you can see from Prince. I thought this was a great choice for a show like Saturday Night Live. That's quite liberal. Uh-huh. Um, has always been very liberal. And here comes this guy out right. and is underwear in a trench coat, well very political. Yeah, uh, very top of mind. Um, you know, kind of topics at the time too. Yeah, I enjoyed yeah. it. It was kind of a very frantic. You know, performance that. You know, as much as I love watching Prince, watch Dr. Fink in this video and his little robotic movements in the background that are very entertaining. Yes. Yes. And he really looked like he was having a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. He's wearing a purple coat. Yeah. Uh, In the videos we see later, he's wearing kind of a taupe colored coat. And I, I, I noted that and appreciated that. Oh, hey, look, there he is in purple. Yeah, kind of a first chance to see him, you know. Yeah, and, uh, you know, very, very planned also as far as a Prince performance goes. At the end of the song, they all, you know, he was very well known even later in in his career for appearances on TV shows. And when the song was over, he was notorious for just magically disappearing. Uh Uh-huh. I like that he kind of ran towards the camera. Yeah. 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 That was, I thought that was interesting. And it was almost... I mean, I know it was planned, but it was almost like the band members weren't quite ready for it <laughs> because they all kind of were like, oh, I guess we're going now. Yeah, let's follow him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and yeah. it, I noted his hair was not great here either. No, well, I mean, 1980, yeah. 81 was not really known for its awesome hair. No. There was, you know, something to be that said was... for looking a little dirty and yeah. unkept. Yeah. Which is definitely how he looked during this time period. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
All right, and the Dirty Mind video. Oh, no, we should do Uptown first because that came out. It was out. first. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, we can talk about them both at the same time. <laughs> they were recorded on the same day, they, same little they stage. They have the same look. Yeah, very. Just a different song. You can tell, you know, this was, you know, pre-MTV. Mm-hmm. You know, it made me wonder, where did this video even get shown if there was no MTV? I don't know well i don't either and you know they made a video for bohemian rhapsody and that came out in the mid 70s mm, that's right and it was you know very operatic over the top the video was pretty impressive i don't know where they showed that either yeah. so i don't know they made it for us in 2018 to yeah look back exactly on it was and... so that we could go back and enjoy yeah. it they are so forward thinking and thoughtful it wasn't that nice of them <laughs> thank you guys <laughs> Yeah, but the Uptown video is uh, Prince's band and kind of a scaled-down version of his touring stage set at that point, which had, which had the logotype for Prince from the Dirty Mind album behind right. the drummer and kind of a lip-sync performance video with a couple different camera angles. And, mm-hmm. you know, what you would say today is very un-Prince-like as far as it looks very spontaneous. Spontaneous? <laughs> spontaneous. looks very... Spontaneous to me, he came up and just did his thing. Um, there wasn't a lot of mm-hmm. choreography or right. you know dance yes. moves that were really planned. Yeah, but there was a lot of audience energy. I noticed that with yeah. both of these that you know it was there was a lot of audience energy in Uptown. He had a guitar and Dirty mm-hmm. Mind. He didn't. Yeah, which I mean, I guess makes makes some sense. There's mm-hmm. a little bit more guitar work in Uptown than there is yeah. in Dirty Mind. Although there's certainly a guitar there, but yeah, I just wonder what he's thinking as he's up there lip syncing to a song with a band who wasn't there when he recorded a studio track. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. But again, he's uh, at the point where he does want to have a band mentality, and um, you know, is trying to create this aura around himself and he was already getting into writing songs for other people and not taking credit for everything he was doing which he would do more with the formation of the time so this may be you know he said a lot of times during his career like why you know the people would ask about his album covers and he's like aren't you sick of looking at me i'm sick of looking at me (laughs) so being more of a background player yeah Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned Dr. Fink's robotic dancing for yeah. the SNL. I noticed it a lot in the videos and found it very fun and endearing yeah. and, and extremely he, 1980. And so funny. It yeah. was, it was really good. Yeah. He was kind of the Wilson of the band. <laughs> yes. You, know? you his never face saw his was face. covered. Yeah. Yes. He was like the home improvement version of <laughs> Prince's keyboard player. <laughs> I love the audience energy. As I said before, um, he was not at all afraid to show some skin. He kind of looked a little bit like a flasher. (laughs) (laughs) This is a man you need to be afraid of. (laughs) This is a man you need to approach as cautiously in an alleyway, not because he's going to beat you up, but because he's going to show you things that you may not be prepared to see. (laughs) Yeah, and not to hurt you either, but just to see what your reaction Uh is. And then then turn around and disappear, like he just performed on SNL. I thought the one thing that was missing from these videos is... uh, Well, there's a lot missing. (laughs) The one thing that stood out to me is... His personality is not there, um, you know, with the playfulness. That's not entirely true, because I did notice there was, in the Dirty Mind video, Mm -hmm. I think kind of close to the end, there is a point where the camera is close to his face, and he does this side eye, 
right at the camera. Yeah, I know. And I was like, that, okay. that's, that's a precursor of things to come. There, that's the prince we know and love. Okay. Uh, there yeah. may be a frame or two of it. But oh, overall. Oh, frame or two. <laughs> Jeez. You didn't think the splits and jumping on the stage were... Yeah, personality. Yeah, again, yes, but the it's more than a frame or two. Well, but I'm talking about more of the humorous side of Prince mm. that was present even during you know some of his serious songs. He didn't appear to be having an awful lot of fun. That's true. I guess is what I'm trying okay, to say. Okay, yeah, that's very fair because he did look like he was having a lot more fun with the SNL performance yeah. than he did in these videos, and I, and I think it's because it was SNL was a live performance, and these were. Yeah. Lip sync recorded things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I, I agree. That's fine. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> it's fine. I, I'll allow it. Gotta stop messing about. All right. This was um, a studio track, not something that we watched live, but I didn't realize, even though I didn't know this, it reminded me when I went to read about the song that it was the very first non-album track of Prince's to ever be released. Oh, okay. So, yeah, because the B-sides for the other releases from this album were all from previous yeah, albums. Yeah. You know, again, he's still searching for an audience, trying to build a base and, you know, raise awareness of his music. So all his other singles had B-sides that were songs from previous albums. Yeah, whereas, trying to get people to go buy those albums. <laughs> exactly. Uh-huh. So with Gotta Step, Stop Messing About, it was actually his first single that was ever released that wasn't on an album, and it was released in the U.K. as a single, not in the U.S. It first showed up in the U.S. a couple years later, or a year later, as the B-side of the extended version of Let's Work from his next album, oh, Controversy. Okay. Yeah. So it was only out uh, in the U.S. and Canada in that format and had never been available on CD or in a format other than vinyl until the 1993 release of the hits and the B-sides, which included Gotta Stop Messing About on the B-sides disc. So it was really sought after among collectors and Prince fans for right. a long time. It was recorded during the Dirty Mind session, so it okay. kind of does have a little yeah. bit of the sound of this album. It, it does feel like a, you know, a non-album track yeah. from this era. It does. Mm-hmm. So again, here we have the, di- the dichotomy of Prince. We have a song like Head where he's kind of interrupting this woman on her way to her wedding uh, and to turn her around into his. And on this song, we have him singing to a woman who's too promiscuous and she's got to stop doing that. Yeah. So well, there's a lot like, of mixed messages here. Like, Is it slut shaming? Is it jealousy? Is it genuine concern for her? And by the second verse, I really think it was it was jealousy. Yeah. He wanted to be with her, and she wasn't she wasn't getting with him, and he did not like it. <laughs> he did not like it. He yeah, was I think not you know jealousy is a big part of Dirty Mind. Yeah. Um, on on a lot of different tracks, and definitely uh, this is one of them. This is one of those songs though that keeps popping up. Like they released it again on um, Prince Forever. And uh, so another, yeah. it's been, it's shown up in a bunch of different places that I feel like it's not really deserving of the kind of yeah. sought afterness of it all. Yeah. Um, definitely. It was has. sought after because it was rare. Yeah. And now. Yeah. The magic is gone now that yeah. it's available, I guess. I guess. Yeah. Um, this is not a B-side that I come back to to listen to an no. awful lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of see why it didn't make the cut for the original album. Yeah, um, it, it certainly not... it certainly would have fit if you had wanted to include it. Right. Yes. At least from a time standpoint. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, the concert in New York. 
Yeah, we listened to uh, a Dirty Mind concert from March 22nd, 1981 in New York City that we were able to get our hands on. It was a fairly typical Dirty Mind tour show. As I mentioned earlier, the show starts off with Do It All Night. So um, there was something about that song that you know encouraged him to or convinced him to have it be the, the lead off of, of a concert. Mm-hmm. I think what was missing from part of the concert that we listened to was an encore because Dirty Mind and Uptown were always part or often part of encores during this, and those two songs. That's an interesting aren't choice for to an put, encore. Yeah, to the put like to put two of the main songs from your album, like your two, your two singles yeah. from your album, not up front to put mm-hmm. them in the encore. It's kind of an interesting choice. Yeah. Yeah. Again, a lot of, um, I mean, this had a live band kind of feel, a live it band did. 1980 feel to it. Like it you felt were like in, a in a club. Smoky club somewhere yep. listening to. Yeah. It was like that place we went and saw Jamie Lydell in Austin. Yeah, it was more dive. like that. Yeah. Just a dive bar rather than a real yeah, venue. venue. Right. Yeah. It had that sound to it. Now we know the, I mean, it's well documented that the Dirty Mind tour, which lasted four months made its way all around the United States, including where we are here in San Antonio, Texas, at um, the Majestic Theater, which is now home to Broadway San Antonio, is one of the most celebrated landmarks in all of San Antonio, actually, as a theater. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were you know, imagining, wow, what would it have been like to see a very, very young prince in a, a theater that's so ornate and beautiful, mm-hmm. and to hear a tour like Dirty Mind would be a lot, of, a lot to take in. <laughs> Would definitely have been a dichotomy, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. So I thought it was neat during this concert. He had a couple songs that had not been released yet that he okay. worked into this particular concert and throughout the tour, one being uh, Broken, yeah. which was kind of like a rockabilly yeah. kind of song. Broken Southern Rockabilly Soul. Oh, hey. Uh, hey. There you go. We agree. <laughs> and then also Gotta Stop Messing About made uh-huh. the playlist also. And he introduced it as a new song, yeah. even though the reality is, is he had recorded it you know, long, long ago with the rest of this album. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There was a part where he was just like kind of noodling on the guitar, which uh-huh. I thought was neat. It was fun to hear him not perfect. It was fun to hear him just like... Mm-hmm. playing a little bit, like having a little fun with it. This was a point in his career where I think he felt a little more free to yeah. not be perfection. Right. A little more of an improvisational kind of feel to yeah. it. Mm-hmm. So there were songs from uh, the Prince album. His second album worked into this concert, too. He came back and played Sexy Dancer, I Want to Be Your Lover, which had been his largest hit at the time, and also the ballad Still Waiting from mm-hmm. uh, the Prince album. Which is a very sweet song. Yeah. I thought he took maybe a bit fewer liberties with some of the songs. They were a little more like the album tracks in a lot of ways that, you know, later when he's performing there, of course, he had a much larger catalog to pull from. So he would do just bits and pieces of songs. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought that was uh, interesting. It was neat to see how much he changed even just from 80 to 88 as far as how he performed in concert. Yeah, he was very faithful, I would say, to the mm-hmm. studio versions of the songs, maybe with the exception of Head. There's this extended yeah. 
I think that's the guitar noodling part it's that like you're talking about. It's like 13 minutes for long, that song. What we're missing listening to it is what he was doing visually with his guitar, which you right. can probably imagine what he was doing with his guitar mm-hmm. during a song like that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, this was long before um, he started rearranging his own music, you know, primarily, I think, to keep it interesting for himself, having played thousands of concerts in his life and right. not wanting to be a slave to, well, this is how I recorded it then. I'm going to play how I would play it now. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. Yeah. All right. So we have reached the point in our podcast where we are choosing. We have rules uh-huh. that we must follow the rules. The rules. The rules. So we choose a time capsule, something that really uh, exemplifies the time in which this album was recorded and or released. Uh, it's entirely up to the host choosing that. See uh, the thing that we liked the least mm-hmm. and the mountain, the high point of the album for us. So, And we've never once picked the same we have not. mountain, sea, or time capsule. So we'll see if the streak continues here. We'll, we'll see. My time capsule were the videos for Uptown and Dirty Mind. Okay, yeah. They were very 1980 video. It looks like mom or dad recorded it with their VHS camcorder. Uh-huh, that they held on their shoulder because yeah. it was too heavy. That's right. Any other way? Yeah. 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 And it almost seemed like, man, we're all in our outfits. We've got our stage here. We're going to push play, and you guys just do what you want to do, and uh-huh. we'll record it. Yep. Yeah. And we're going to do it six times with six different camera angles. <laughs> yeah. No, and that we'll was, and that's together. why it looks like it was no fun because we were <laughs> sick of singing these songs. <laughs> yeah. That's a good choice. Yep. The street continues because my time, <laughs> my time capsule is this album cover, um, uh-huh. which has sort of become iconic, a uh, black and white picture of Prince in, uh, what became his standard, you know, outfit bef- mm-hmm. long before his outfits were custom made for him by a staff. Here he yeah. is dressing himself and making choices. Looks like he went to Goodwill to dress himself he too. Well, maybe not budget. for the underwear, but did it on a budget. He's got his rude boy pin on. He's got uh, the purple jacket that you're uh-huh. referring to uh, from the Saturday Night Live video. With the kind of glitter encrusted right shoulder yep. on it, um, I mean, so, just, did he get a bedazzler? I wonder. I don't know. Did if they he bedazzle it himself? Were hot glue guns a thing in 1980? <laughs> I don't know. I don't there know was either. glue. There was craft stores with glittery yeah. things that yeah. you could buy. But the, in the background <laughs> of the album, being mattress springs, uh-huh. um, and even the typeface that was chosen for uh, his name. It does not say Dirty Mind on the cover of the album anywhere. It's just his picture, and I think that's enough to convey what we're getting. But yeah. I always found this, you know, even his look and feel, the kind of unkept mustache that what he was sporting at the time, uh, that, was, that was my time capsule. Yeah, okay. So my C was I don't think we're going to agree here either because it was got a broken heart again. Oh no. Oh yeah. See, and you know, I'm not so big on the ballads for the most part. And You're so heartless. Oh, yeah, thanks. <laughs> I'm so glad you think so. <laughs> I just it sounded like it had the theme of a country song. Mm-hmm. It to definitely me, had kind was, of a bluesy I'm country feel to it. Sad and uh-huh. I'm gonna tell you how sad I am because somebody did me wrong. Yeah. And I maybe I just don't have a lot of patience for that. I don't know. Yeah. But 
I wonder why someone would do him wrong if he's doing things like stopping brides on the uh-huh. way to their wedding well, to have yeah. encounters with them. Yeah. There may be a reason. I can, I'm can. i not surprised that that's the song that you <laughs> chose as a C if it was going to be a song. I thought that I'll have to, you'll have to listen to the later versions of the song okay. when he sings it um, live. Maybe I'll appreciate it more. Maybe you'll appreciate it more. I thought it was a sweet kind of change of pace for an album that was full of, you know, kind of a new wave funk, a mm-hmm. little bit of rockabilly thing to it that, um, you know, at least we got one ballad out of it. I'd prefer to another fast song. <laughs> That's just me. <laughs> How about you? What is your C? Oh, my C. I didn't really want to pick one because I hold this album in very high regard, not necessarily because of the quality of the songs or the quality of the recording or the amazing musicianship. I don't think that's what you listen to the song to appreciate. You listen to this or to this album to appreciate. I think you listen to this album to appreciate the coming of age of a rock and roll Hall of Fame musician and where he was practically as a kid at this point, yet it's his third album. If you think today, you know, three albums in, most musicians are five to ten years into their careers by the time album number three drops, and here he is two and a half years removed from his debut release. So because I had to pick a C and Uh because I'm... Because I'm mean and make you follow the rules. I hate this. (laughs) Um, I'm going to go with Sister. Oh, okay. That was probably my second one. Just because it's so taboo now and not at all who Prince was, you know, later in life and what he, what he stood for and what he worked to become and the amount of respect that he built for women and women musicians in his life. I think this song betrays that just a little, even though I get it. He's not in a position at the age of 20 to be lifting other people up. He's still scratching and crawling his way uh, to begin with. Um, You know, and Prince never made apologies or excuses for the song either. And he played it live regularly up through the Love Sexy tour. But uh, then he he retired it, I think, for the same reason that it's my C. Mm Mm-hmm. That's very fair. Mm-hmm. I did think it had it was fun to listen to, and I think that was mm-hmm. I gave I gave it a little bit of a pass because of his youth and because of that it's kind of fun. Right. Uh, I gave it a little bit of a pass, but I can totally agree that was mm-hmm. it was definitely in contention for my C. All right. So all and right. Don't hate on me because I'm not saying I don't like the song Sister. No. I'm saying it's. <laughs> well, it's the it's the valley of this album. Yeah, for me. yeah, that's that's totally fine. And if somebody has a problem with it, they can fuss at me because I'm the one who made up the rules and I'm the one who enforces them. So yep, and I only agree to be on this podcast under a veil of protection. <laughs> All right, my mountain. Well, I really, really loved Uptown. Mm-hmm. I really, I was very surprised at how much I liked several of the songs on this. Um, I really liked When You Were Mine. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's a great choice. Yeah. That's a really great choice, especially considering you didn't realize Cindy... L- oh, no, you did know that Cindy yeah. Lauper covered it, but, you know, it got a lot of recognition, mm-hmm. you know, within a few years of the album's release. Yeah. It was just... It was fun. It was vulnerable. Mm-hmm. It was good. I liked it. That's a great choice. I thought this one, after I heard uh, your thoughts on each of the songs in this album, I thought that this mountain might be might be the time we agreed. I was wrong. Oh, uh, it's uptown for me. Oh, um, yeah. You know, 
like I, I said, can't argue with that at yeah, all. Yeah, like I said earlier, this is kind of like the thirty-one twenty-one of nineteen eighty. It's the yeah. nineteen ninety-nine of nineteen eighty, where Prince became this master of creating these universes, where he was searching for this creative utopia. Yeah, and this is really the first time we heard it on a Prince album, and he referred to it uh, throughout the rest of his career. And of course, it was from his hometown, Minneapolis, the uptown area which was kind of a hangout for artists, and he became a real champion for artists of all kinds. So I I couldn't look past Uptown uh, for this episode as my mountain. No, I appreciate that. That's great. What good choices. All right, so we have a request by friend of the pod, Martin. Thanks, Martin. At at Interchemist on Twitter. Uh He has requested... And since he has requested, we are going to honor it. We're going to do Rave and to the Joy Fantastic next. All right. So I'm kind of excited about that because we, I remember when this album came out very uh-huh. well. It was around the time we got married, I believe. It was 1999, yeah. which was the year we got married. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, but I can't remember exactly when in 1999, but I know sure. I do remember um, worrying about Y2K just a little bit, but also yep. going and getting a cable box so that we could get pay-per-view for the New Year's Eve special right. that was we'll talk about in a couple of episodes. Yes, well, this commits us to a lot of material. So we've yeah. got Rave Unto the Joy Fantastic, which was sort of a comeback album for the artist formerly known as Prince uh-huh. still at the time. Yeah. There's the New Year's Eve special, um, Rave Into the Year 2000. Yeah. There's uh, also a remix album called Rave Into the Joy Fantastic that members of the MPG Music Club uh, got um, at the time that contains primarily remixes or alternate takes of all the album tracks from Rave Into the Joy Fantastic, but also a couple of non-album tracks too. Uh, that we'll need to find the time to get into. Yeah, that's fair. So if you would like to make a request, as Dear Martin has done, uh, you can connect with us on social media. TMATS Podcast on Twitter, T-M-A-T-S Podcast is our handle on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook at the Mountains and the Sea of Prince Podcast, or you can shortcut that with TMATS Podcast as well. Or if you're old school, you can send us... And email at tmatspodcast at gmail.com. I thought you were going to say fax. Oh, no. If we went old school and want to fax us, I don't have a fax machine. And I don't have a phone number that anyone can fax anything to. So don't send us a fax. You can send us a fax, but send us some fax, not a fax. How about that? That sounds good. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much. We appreciate you spending your time with us. And we'll see you again in a couple of weeks. See you soon.